Hi, I'm Vicki Griffin, inviting you to visit lifestylematters.com. Whether you're interested in recipes, articles, handouts, books, scripted PowerPoints in English and Spanish, or just watching some great videos on 26 different wellness topics, visit us today at lifestylematters.com. Hi, friends. I hope you had a wonderful time with family and friends over the Christmas holiday. And I know that it's been a couple of weeks since we last posted our podcast. And this has been due to technical issues that we had in our studio. But these have been sorted out thanks to your prayers and your support. For that reason, you will not be able to hear my voice in the next two episodes. So we just let Pastor Dennis narrate his story. And I promise you, it's going to be an incredible story. It will inspire you, it will challenge you, and here is the show. I wrote that out. Just as I was finishing it, I heard footsteps running down my hallway upstairs like a full-grown person running through my house. And that freaked me out. My heart about jumped out of my chest. This was a spirit running through my house. And I knew that. No need for me to go upstairs and check it out. There was nobody, physical person in my home. I am Michael Xarona, and you're listening to Why I Am Here, a show that shares the incredible stories of our guests and how they can inspire you to have a closer walk with God. On today's show, I sit down with Dennis Page. Now, Dennis Page has an amazing story, like most of our stories on this podcast. Dennis Page was involved in drugs. He sold drugs. He used drugs. He was involved in spiritualism. But God reached out to his heart. And Dennis Page started reading his Bible. He went to jail. He was locked up. He served. He came out. He found Christ. And now he's a pastor in Michigan, conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. God still reaches people, no matter where they are. You know, I grew up in Buffalo, New York, in a big city. Uh, We grew up in the ghetto. I grew up with a poor family. And the challenges I faced as a youth was my, my father had left and so at a very young age before I was even two years old there was a separation between myself and my real father I had a sister just about a year younger than me and so for the next eight years we'd grow up without a a father a lot of children experience that in our culture today and around the world the thing it did to me was it put a, a fear in my heart of abandonment a fear of being alone that fear would play out and affect me later in my teenage years and and on into my uh, early adulthood. Growing up in a ghetto, it was challenging. My mother loved us, but she she raised us to survive. Uh, Later in life, she would remarry when I was about eight years old, but still my stepdad really uh, wasn't a, a father to me. We would hear a lot at home, don't do as I do, do as I say. 
So that would plant a seed of rebellion in my heart. I thought my parents were these superheroes. You know, they do all this stuff, and they never get in trouble for it. So, you know, I get older. I'm going to do what I want. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And that's how I kind of started living my life. Uh, in my teenage years, that fear of abandonment, that fear of being alone, caused me to choose the wrong friends. And fear of rejection then caused me to choose, make poor choices, you could say. And so... At that time in my life, I began to experiment with drinking, using uh, drugs, and uh, smoking marijuana, and um, just getting involved in mischief, doing things what we'd call having fun, but that having fun was destroying other people's lives. It was bringing shipwreck to others or taking things from people that belong to them. You should have never done that, get involved in robberies and stuff. So uh, we termed that having fun, but really it wasn't uh, fun, you could say, that was helping anybody out there in life. At a very young age, uh, I you know, got involved in this stuff. But when I was 16 years old, I, I wanted to get out on my own. I wanted to be away from my home because I had a dysfunctional, broken home. So I had been, I was encountered by a Marine Corps recruiter. I was in my junior year of high school, and I asked uh, my parents if they could uh, set some time aside one evening because I wanted them to meet somebody. So they had no idea who was coming to the house. I had already talked to a Marine Corps recruiter that day, and I found out that if my parents signed a waiver, that I could start reserve meetings that right there a month later. And when I finished uh, high school... I could uh, go right on into the Marine Corps training and uh, do my boot camp training, my MOS training, and be a, and be involved in Marine Corps Reserves. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to prove to my parents that I didn't have a problem with discipline. I didn't have a problem with structure. My problem was hypocrisy. So that evening about 6.30, a Marine Corps recruiter come over, knocked on the door. I opened it up. They were really shocked to see him. He came in. He was in uniform. He came in. He explained to him the offer that was being put on the table for me. I could see my stepdad get a big smile on his face. You know, he thought, I got you now. You know, he always threatened to send me to military school if I didn't behave. And so here, I beat him to it. I uh, was anxious to see what they were going to say. They, they were willing to do it. They signed the papers. And uh, off I went a year later. I graduated from high school, went right into Marine Corps. And this whole time, I'm searching Unbeknown to me, I'm searching for something. I'm searching to fill a void in my heart that was actually created there by God. Now, I had not known about this God that I would encounter later in life. But in each person, God places a void. He created us for a relationship with Him. When that, that relationship isn't connected with Him and there's a void there that we try to fill it with other things, it begins to, to break down our purpose and meaning in life. So I'm searching, you could say, for love, but in all the wrong places. Well, they didn't feel it. I come out of the Marine Corps, I come out just determined, full of pride, in a position now in life that nobody was going to stop me from accomplishing and doing what I wanted to do in life, whatever that was. So I, I got a job, I started working, and I always held good jobs. I worked in uh, management, I worked in 
factories, but I always moved up the line, got into a, a foreman position or a management position, and always did very well. God blessed me with talent and how to organize and do things uh, and learn hands-on very quickly. So I always made good money, but there was still that void. And so when I came out of the Marine Corps, I went back to using drugs again. And But now I got involved in selling drugs because in my mind was, I'm not going to work all week and spend my money to buy drugs. I'll sell it. If I'm going to use it, I'm going to get it up for free. And the way I think, the way I was thinking, I don't think that way now. The way I was thinking at that time was I knew plenty of people that used. And why not? supply their means. They were friends, people I went to school with, people I met at work. And that's that's what started this journey in, in regards to us selling drugs I'd already been using. So again, searching to fill the void. And I thought this was the answer. But for the next 20 years, I'd, I'd progress in this way. And it would come to a point where I had the nice home, fancy cars, I had money, I had respect, I had lots of friends but I was still missing something. We had moved from New York to a city in, in Indiana. That's where I'd been living from the time I was 13 until uh, later on in life. And so for 20 years, this has been my lifestyle. You know, I'm working hard, I'm making good money, but on the side, I got this little thing going on here with I'm, I'm selling and using. There were people that would meet me that would never have a clue. It was like I had a double life. They would, they'd never would have known that that's what I was doing on my private life. My close friends knew about it, but people that I would meet through work or that in management positions, uh, they, they did not, they had never guessed it. And so, you know, I came to a point in my life that uh, I decided I was going to step away from the work world and just go into using and selling, just go into selling drugs full time. I had connected with a, a group out of the country I thought I tapped into the ultimate source. And so now I was able to get large quantities and distribute those and making good money. And uh, it wasn't long after that that I began to realize there's that, that void was getting uh, deeper. You could, you could say it was getting bigger. It was just, it wasn't, nothing was filling it. And I'd have big parties and people would go home and I'd sit there and I'd think about life. And I remember one time when I was about 35 years old thinking, man, is this all there is to life? You know, I, I got everything I ever dreamed about, and I've succeeded where many of my schoolmates never came to. You know, they never attained to that success in life, material success, I'll say. Let me get it straight. And I began to write out my feelings on paper. It wasn't too long after that that I connected with a friend that we went to school together, and we'd hang out from time to time. And this girl was uh, involved in spiritualism. Now, I knew nothing about God or spirits or anything like that. And she invited me to come over. She was house sitting. She asked if I'd come over and hang out. So I did. And while I was sitting there, she began to tell me about this part of her life that since she was a little girl, these spirits would come and talk to her and tell her things about people. And then she would convey that to people and she acted as a medium. And so she was telling me that there was somebody there in the room that night that wanted to talk to me. Not a physical person, a spirit. And so she didn't know who the person was. She says, I'll give you a description of what they look like. The person she described to me was my grandmother. Now, this was pretty profound to me because my grandmother had passed away probably 12 years earlier. She never saw a picture of my grandmother. She had, had no knowledge I even had a grandmother. She, that girl was not in my life during the time 
my, when my grandmother had passed away. And so I bought into it. A few days later, some strange things started happening around my house. And I called this girl up and I said, hey, I said, uh, what's going on here? She says, the spirits want to talk to you. And so through some interesting connections and interaction, this was real. Now I thought I tapped into a supernatural power that would help me. And right about the time all this was happening, uh, the task force started a surveillance on me. And later I would find out the FBI would get involved. The drug ring I was involved in, some crazy things were going on in there. So things just got really crazy in my life. Just before I quit my last job, the owner of that company came up to me one day and he said, Dennis, uh, would you like to go to church with my wife and I? I thought that was kind of strange, but he knew about my, my other life. He knew about what I, was, what I was doing on the side. He was trying to reach out to me. And I remember looking at him and I just said, uh, his name was Danny. I said, Danny, you know what? I, I appreciate that. I said, but uh, no. <laughs> and he's quick. He's quick to think. He said, could we take your son? Now, my son was about five years old at the time. His name is Travis. His mother and I had split up, but he spent a, a, quite a bit of time with me. I thought to myself, and I, I, don't, I don't know where this came from. Well, today I know it came from God, but at that moment, I don't know where the thought came from. But I looked at him, I said, Danny, if I do anything right with my life, I want my son to know who this Jesus is. Now, up to that time in my life, I did not have a clue who Jesus was. I've heard the name. I knew there was Christians that worked in some of the places I worked, and they seemed to have a little peace. And the way I looked at this was I knew how I had lived my life. I knew the things I was involved in. And I heard of this place called hell. And I figured that's where I'm going, and there is no hope for me. And so I'm going to live up my life and get what I want, even if it's at the expense of other people. And that's what that teaching does. It makes you very selfish when you're told that if you don't serve God, you're going to burn in hell forever. Because it puts a, a perverse look. It gives a person a, a, a perverted look or, or a, um, a twisted look on the character of God. When I heard that when I was younger, it just put it in the back of my mind, you know what? I can never please a God like that. No matter what I do, it's not going to be good enough. He's looking at me. He's waiting to squash me like a bug. You know what? This is all I got is this world. I'm going to live for this world. And so that's how my life was going. And so when he asked me that question, I, you know, the first thing I thought about was what came to my mind was my son has hope. There's hope for him. There's, he's five. If he could just know who this Jesus is, there's hope. My son went to church a few times. He enjoyed it. Another couple approached me, invited me to go to church with him. I went a few times. I felt like a hypocrite. The thing was, I was going to church not to encounter God. I thought, you know, maybe if I meet a Christian woman, my life could be different. And so I was going to church just looking at the ladies. What the preacher was saying went right over my head. I couldn't tell you anything that I heard the four, three or four times I went to church at that time. But that couple that I uh, had invited me to go to church, they had given me a Bible. And so I took it home and put it on the shelf. And I went back. I, I quit going to church. I went, like I said, three, four times. I stopped going. But I'll say this, you know, there's a lot of hypocrites in church. And I was one of them at that time. But the thing is, is you're going to get healed by Jesus. He's the one that's going to restore and heal you. So I'd encourage people that if you're feeling like a hypocrite and you're at church, keep going to church. Don't do as I was doing, looking at the ladies or whatever, looking at the men or whatever, if you're a lady. But tune your ears into Christ 
and listen to what the preacher is perhaps preaching. But main thing is open your Bible and read it and let God speak to you. So here I am now in my life. I, I stopped going. I'm getting deeper involved in this spiritualism. Now I'm talking to the spirits. They're responding to me. They're showing me things. I'm under investigation now. I know for sure by the task force and FBI. And I had made some choices along the way while involved with this drug ring that would mean other people losing their life. I'm not proud of it, but I will say this. Every time on three different occasions when I was involved in making a decision that would cost somebody else their life so I could move further up in the chain, God intervened and delivered that person. And it would only be later in life that I could look back and I could see that. And I'm praising the Lord for his love and care, even for people in the drug world. Somebody like myself, that person would mean nothing to me. It was about me moving up the chain and getting my stuff cheaper and getting more invested into the organization. But God had another plan, not only for me, but for them. And so, like I said, after I'd have these big parties, people would go home, I'd write out my feelings on paper. And one night, in the midst of all this craziness that's going on in my life, about 2.30 in the morning, just after another party, people go home. I'm sitting here, really nice house, just thinking about things. And I began to write out my feelings on paper again. But this time, as I got the pad and paper out, I put it down and I get ready to write. The first words that come to my mind is, Jesus said. This is interesting because I had never read the Bible up to that time. Just came from nowhere. The thoughts coming into my head, I'm just writing them out on paper now. And I'd been up for days. I was involved in selling meth and coke and other things. But the words that came to my mind were, Jesus said, for I told you I'd never be far away as I hear and feel your hearts cry out today. And the people say, what must we do? Where should we pray? Where is it, where is it safe for our children to play our Savior, can you say? And Jesus says, yes, the answer has been placed in your heart from the very start. True faith will see you through. But the people cry out, with all the evil in the world today, it is our faith we are to rely on? And Jesus says, yes, for the end days have now come. I will test the faith in everyone. And I say, have no fear, for Jesus is here. Do you not feel him? Is it not clear? Put all your trust and faith in the Father and the Son, and they will guide you and protect you from the wicked one. And I would like you to live your lives with this in mind. Treat the person next to you as if that person was Jesus Christ. Then and only then would this world be a better place for you and me and our family. At this moment, God is inspiring upon Dennis' mind and impressing him to write all the messages that he's hearing. When we come back, we'll find out more how these messages became a strength for him later. This program is sponsored by Village Seventh-day Adventist Church. If you would like to learn more about Village Church, please visit villagesda.org. Are you wondering how you can spend the financial blessings God has given you? Join Village Church as we partner with the El Salvadorian Union to build the first Adventist college in El Salvador. If you would like to learn more about this opportunity, please visit villagesda.org. I wrote that out. Just as I was finishing it, I heard footsteps running down my hallway upstairs, like a full-grown person running through my house. And that freaked me out. My heart about jumped out of my chest. This was a spirit running through my house. And I knew that. 
No need for me to go upstairs and check it out. There was nobody, physical person in my home. Right after that, as I'm sitting here, leaning over, writing on a table, at a, I'm sitting on a couch, leaning over, writing on a table, I catch a silhouette of a person standing off into the corner of the room. Now, this was a large room, and uh, off into the corner, I catch a silhouette of a person there. Now, I wasn't afraid. That didn't scare me. I had, like, peace. I can't explain that. And I go back to writing. And the only thing I remember about this paper was this. I started writing again. It went like this. It is we that write the pages of the Gospels each and every day with the deeds we do and the things we say. And that's all I remember about that part. And there was something else that I had started writing, but I don't remember. And as I was writing that, I see somebody walk by me in front of me. And they come over and I felt somebody sit next to me on the couch. And I went to turn my head and it was like it was locked in place. And all I heard was, keep writing. And I went back to writing. And after about a minute or two, I was able to look to my side and nobody was there. And I went back and I picked up the paper that I had just, just shared with you, what I wrote, Jesus said. And I read that back to myself. And now for the first time in my life, I felt a peace I can't explain. Right then and there, I knew God was real. No doubt in my mind, there was a God, He was real and he had just paid me a visit. Now, this had a profound impact upon my life. That night, it's about three o'clock in the morning now, I gotta share this with somebody. Who am I gonna share it with? All I know is druggies. That's who I'm gonna share it with. I call somebody up that lives in another town. I figured they were still up. They were. I tell them, hey, I'm gonna come over. They're happy, their drug dealer's coming over. I'm bringing drugs with me, we're gonna have a big party. I go to their house, I'm being known to them, I'm gonna to talk to them about Jesus. I get there, we're partying, I whip out that paper and I share with them my experience. I don't recall much other than they were probably thinking, they got this blank look on their face. Man, this guy needs sleep. On the way home, I started thinking about my life and I thought about the, the families I destroyed. I thought about people that perhaps lost their lives trying to get me that dope and people that lost their lives trying to keep me from getting it. And I felt overcome with a sense of guilt and shame. And I felt like I was being judged by God. It was like I was at the judgment bar. And I already knew that certain people would rather have me dead than alive. Both uh, law enforcement, they made that clear. Um, people in the drug world, there were some people that just rather me not be around anymore. And I began to cry because at this time now, I'm thinking God would kill me. And at that moment, as I'm crying and I'm weeping, and I'm just, I, I can't make sense of it. I have an hour drive back to my house from where I was visiting. And these thoughts are going through my head and I'm just crying now. And it was like the peace of God came upon me and, and and God was impressing me that there's more to the visit than what I understood. And to go home and get the Bible out. And I went home and I searched for that Bible in my house my friends gave it to me. And I got it out and began to read it. And I searched through the house until I found it. And I opened it up. And I don't remember where I opened it up to, but I began to read. And it was like I could hear God's voice clear and distinct. And I just broke down and just started crying. I got some rest. I got up the next day, I began to read. 
And everybody I talked to for the next several months, I'd have to tell them about this experience. I told my drug supplier, I said, look, guys, I'm done. I got to get out. And uh, he told me, don't worry, it's going to pass. Everything is going to be all right. And I told him, no, this isn't going away. And so I had to make some decisions. I had to get out. But the sad thing is, is sometimes you get involved in something such as what I was in. And there's no just walking away. You know, you don't just stop selling. You don't just tell them, you know, I'm done. I'm getting out. I'm walking away. These people, it doesn't work like that. You're tied in. Once you're in, you're in. There were a lot of things that started to happen behind the scenes, you could say, but I was made aware of. And there was a hitman brought in. And uh, they weren't shy about me knowing about it. They weren't worried about it. All this is going on in my life. And one night, I, I just cried out to God. I said, look, Lord, I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't know what to do. I can't fix this. I was really drunk at the time. And all I could say is, God's, God, help me. And, you know, God is awesome because no matter how broken you are, no matter how messed up you are, when you ask God for help, he's going to help you. Now, it's like when Peter was walking on water, he began to sink, crying out to God, Lord, save me. The next word, I love the next word. It says, immediately, the Lord stretched forth his hand and saved him. Now, that night, I said, God, help me. I, I still didn't know who Jesus was. I'm reading the Bible, but I don't understand who he is or what role he plays in all of this. Every day, I was reading, I was writing, and I was thinking to myself, Lord, if I could just go out to the country and stop selling, stop using all these hard drugs, and maybe just smoke a little marijuana, drink a little beer, and uh, I read my Bible, I get to know you, I could write for you. You know, that's, that's a sinner's uh, mindset. You know, that's an addict's mindset. The interesting thing about being wrapped up in sin is you want to get out, but you don't want to get all the way out. And, and you want to get out, but you want to get out your way. But God's way is always the better way. God says, you know what? I have a way, and I have a purpose, and I have a plan for you. And you may not understand it, but you said, help, I'm going to give you some help. Now, I want to read a Bible passage because this was really profound when I came across it later in years. So I asked God for help that night. This is uh, Psalms 102, verse 17. It says, He will regard the prayer of the destitute and not despise their prayer. If you feel destitute, just know the Bible says God will not despise your prayer. When you lift your voice to him, he'll hear. It says, He looked down from the height of his sanctuary. From heaven did, he be, did the Lord behold the earth to hear the groaning of the prisoner to loosen those that are appointed to death. Now, I was appointed to death. We're all appointed to death. The wages of sin is death. But when I cried out, what little bit I did know, the little bit of experience I did have, I was in a pit of sin. And God said, you know, I'm going to help you. I didn't hear him say it. But within 12 hours, I got my answer. 12 hours later, I find myself in a, I'm in a parking lot and I'm approached by a Secret Service agent and a federal marshal. And they asked me some questions. I kind of have a little dialogue with them. They asked me to get in the car, SUV, and go for a ride with them. And I said, no, that's not going to happen. And they said, yeah, you're going to go for a ride with us. I said, no, I'm not. And the guy reached out to grab me, and I hit him. And I hit the other guy. And before you know it, I found we're right there in the parking lot, a full-out fight. And, uh, you know, these guys are bigger than a couple of them. And they finally got me wrestled down to the ground, got me handcuffed. Another uh, SUV pulls up. Another Secret Service agent jumps out. They throw me in the back of an SUV, and then proceeded to tell me that they had a warrant for my arrest. Now I'm thinking, 
oh, this is this is not good. And so I didn't have any kind words to say to him at the time because now they're going to get me for uh, assault and battery on a federal agent, you know, and just things are going to get out of hand. What had happened is I had, I was talking to somebody and I had made mention of assassinating a agent, federal agent. Yes. And so they had that on a phone conversation. And I'm thanking the Lord because that day when this happened, I didn't have no weapons with me and I didn't have no drugs with me. So there's this one group that's investigating me for uh, drug trafficking and uh, other things. Another law enforcement agency gets involved because there's a recorded threat against a federal agent. The one case never got brought up because the other case just, that's what they took and ran with, threatening to assassinate a federal agent. So that's what they arrested me for. During that time, I can tell you, when, I, when, those, when the door shut of that jailhouse, when he took me in that day and the door shut, it felt like a load of bricks just fell off my back because I had all this craziness going on in my life, trying to figure out how I was going to get out of this drug ring, trying to figure out how I was going to connect my son with God someday. Because now at that point, I had a sen- I sent him to go live with his mother because I knew things were just getting too crazy in my life from being around. Knowing that the, the task force made it very clear they'd, they'd rather kill me than arrest me. And uh, a drug ring that was willing to use me but was waiting to take me out at the same time. People that were trying to set me up consistently and these spirits that were helping me out now turned on me because I started reading the Bible and were torturing my mind with different thoughts. So when that door shut, it was like part of my life just fell off my back that was a burden to me. God was in the process of setting me free. Now, now some people get locked up and they think, that's not what I prayed for. Well, that's not what I prayed for either. I was praying country life, little beer, little marijuana. Yeah, just to get away, you know. But God's all about cleaning up all the way. You know, Jesus came to save us not in sin, but from sin. And so I began to read the Bible. So now I'm reading the Bible eight, ten hours a day in prison. I'm discovering who God is. For a whole year, I'm in and out of court for my case. I was in and out of court probably more than a half a dozen times. A lot of things were going on. It came time for sentencing. But I knew now there was a God that loved me and cared about me. And so when they, they came to me, my attorney came to me and he says, look, they're going to offer you a five-year plea agreement with an open end. Now, what that means in the federal system is you agree to five years by signing that document. You automatically agree to five years. Plus, if the judge says, I'm going to give you 20 more, you can't appeal it. So you go into the courtroom with a possibility of getting 30, 40 years. For sure, five, but maybe 30 or 40. I didn't want to stay locked up that time, but that's all that was on the table for me. I understood that God saved me for a reason. And rather, I stayed in prison or I got out of prison, I already proposed in my heart, I'm going to serve this Lord. He was faithful to me. He was good to me. He intervened. He heard my cry and he helped me. So while that's happening, and I'm still reading the Bible, I come across a book called Left Behind. This, this seems to be a very popular book in the Christian world today. And I read through it, and I'm thinking to myself, it's, called, it's, it's about the second coming of Christ. What I would discover in that book is a broken picture of the character of God. In the sense that somewhere in, in some segment of Earth's history, he's going to give a certain people... Uh, some extra time in figuring things out and get it right, while everybody from Adam up to that time doesn't get a second chance. 
Now that doesn't make sense. And so I did not understand the, the doctrine or the teaching of the second coming of Christ through the scripture yet. But reading the Bible from cover to cover, I understood this, that that was not who God says he is as I'm reading the Bible. And of course, I flipped the book over and on the back it says fiction. Yeah, so it's a made up story. And I'll never forget because uh, after I read it, I'm like, this, this is not the God I know. And uh, then when I flipped it over and said fiction, I'm like, these guys are in it for the money. It's not about truth. It's about money and storytelling and, and fables and whatever you could say. So I, I, stopped, I didn't want to read it anymore. And uh, a friend of mine that gave me that one, he came with part two <laughs> left behind. And so I said, Lord, you know, I, I remember distinctly God saying, don't read the book. And I just stayed with the Bible. I wanted to know truth. And I wanted to understand who God really is. Thank you for listening. I hope this story has been an inspiration to you thus far. And the good news is, this is not the end of the story. This is just part one of a two-part series of Dennis Page's story. So if you would like to hear more on how God worked in his life, got him out of the prison, and got him to be a pastor in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, please stick around and look out for our next episode. If you're wondering how you can support Why I Am Here podcast with your financial blessings, please visit villagesdaradio.com and hit the donate button. This will help us keep producing more wonderful stories that will change people's lives like that we have featured on our podcast. This is Michael Xarona, and you have been listening to Why I Am Here. For more episodes, please visit villagesda.org. We would like to thank Pastor Ron Kelly and his pastoral staff for making this show a reality. We would also like to thank Village Seventh-day Adventist Church in Bering Springs, Michigan for their support and sponsoring this show. If you would like your story to be featured on this show, please visit villagesda.org. If you have enjoyed this show, please remember to subscribe, review, and share with your friends. You can also listen to this show on your favorite podcast platform. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 